0: Good afternoon, everyone. To a afternoon session in Second Life on this fine Sunday afternoon. Uh, today's topic. Um, I'm not exactly sure what uh, what what to call it, although. Uh, The impetus for talking about um, the subject of today's talk comes from uh, a a number of people, a small number of people, but a few people who have contacted me on YouTube. Um, I I assumedly because of my uh, white skin and my shaved head and asking me if I'm a skinhead or a white supremacist and uh, making all sorts of rude comments besides the the normal response, of course, is to block such people since I don't have time for the silliness but i think um having thought about i thought about it it seems to be an interesting sort of um entry point to giving a talk so i guess you could say that today's talk is about white supremacy although it's probably going to diverge from that and the thing about such identification questions are you this are you that is um they have a place in the Buddha's teaching the Buddha often got this sort of a question from people or accusations from people people saying that the Buddha was a nihilist that the Buddha taught inaction um, that, and and people asking the Buddha whether he was a um, a brahmin or a samana or so on and so the Buddha would would more often than not redefine the term Uh, an incredibly good example that's quite pertinent to this topic is the term Arya. Many people should be familiar with the Aryans. Um, Mostly we, we come in contact with this word in relation to Nazi Germany and their idea of creating the pure, perfect Aryan race. But the, the origin of the term, the oldest known usage that I'm aware of, comes from India, or comes from a group of people who invaded India. It was a group of uh, horse-riding barbarians who called themselves the Aryans, and they had war gods and war hymns, much like the Vikings. You, you might think of it as horse-riding Vikings, or, or you know thinking of um, the Genghis Khan, or however, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with all of that, but anyway, this group of, of warriors, of, of people who believed in conquest and domination. And they came into India, and they called themselves the Aryans. And they saw all... they, they were rather white-skinned, assumedly. And they saw all these dark-skinned inhabitants of the Indian subcontinent, and even got to the point of calling them demons. These are dark beings. And so the word Aryan does, in fact, have a a, a fairly negative connotation. It's It's a term used for a group of people who believe that people with light skin are superior, or more than light skin, you might Um, extrapolate that blue eyes, blonde hair and so on tall and so the the Buddha redefined the word Arya where it probably comes from it probably means something like victor because Arya means enemy and Ya means one who who conquers or, or overcomes So the Buddha redefined the word to mean one who overcomes the real enemy, which is the defile or the defilements inside. He said, "You don't call someone a an an Arya by their their skin color or their their birth or their eye color or something ridiculous like that." You you, you don't call a person Aryan simply because... You don't call them a victor or, or a noble one because of their birth. You call them that because they have destroyed their defilements. They have killed the enemy. They have destroyed greed. They have destroyed anger. They have destroyed delusion. And the Pali is... Kilesario, han han one who kills the enemies which are the the kilesa, the defilements. This is known as an arya. And you know, you might say that ah, oh, this is you know just fanciful entomology, you know, creating um, new meanings to words that are totally unrelated to the meaning, but from a Buddhist point of view, it seems absurd to think of anyone as noble simply because of their birth. And the Buddha was constantly um, denouncing this idea that you could be somehow high-born because of your class or because of your skin color he said if a, if a high class, a brahmin or a, a, a kasatya, a, a, no, a royal royalty commits a bad deed you know, kills someone or so on do they not put that person in jail? and is it not true that that person will have to suffer because of their bad deeds and you no know, th- this this might might seem a little bit silly you know talking about the ca- the class system because obviously in our society we don't have this class system but here we have even today these people who claim that they are white supremacists they believe in the, percent, the supremacy of whiteness. And <clears throat> their definition or their way of telling whether someone is white or not is based on the color of their skin. And I was fooling around with the color of my skin here in Second Life. And um, no, it's not really... Uh, I'll just let's see if I can get in here. It's kind of a silly thing, but, okay, here's a black person. And I was looking at it, and, you know, I can't say that I've ever seen anyone with black skin. Uh, and I, I even looked it up on Wikipedia, and apparently um, the closest you can get is, is close to black. This for skin color. Now, I have seen people with almost white skin. Um... But they're of course few and far between. Well, most of us have some shade of brown, um, and maybe some pink thrown in there. So I, I think this is um, this is an important topic to discuss because it goes into the it goes into the whole idea of identifying with with things and, and cre- giving labels to especially to people to yourself and to others so you have people who give themselves the label white or they give themselves the label black and then they identify with it they you know they they talk about um people as being not black enough, not uh, too white, or so on. Um, They talk about white culture, white trash, talk about black culture. And like everything else, this separates us into groups. It divides people on ridiculous, absurd um, grounds. And it comes because we see what is not essential as being essential. So like with Hitler, he believed that somehow there was something good about being blonde, uh, blue-eyed, white-skinned, tall, uh, muscular, whatever. German, I guess. I'm I'm Aryan. This group of of, uh, European People who rode horses and conquered, and and actually turned out to be probably one of the most evil groups of people on the earth. That would be the same people who, um, with the same idea, the same culture that that ended up turning into British imperialism, the conquering of the quote-unquote New World, which of course already had advanced or well-established civilizations and most of the rest of the known world, Africa, India, and Asia, and bringing an incredible amount of suffering to the rest of the world. This is, um, this is what that, that group managed to accomplish. You know, the taking over of India is an example, and um, killing off, a, in fact, a, a well-established civilization that we now know very little about. Because they were annihilated or pushed out into the woods into the into the countryside out of the cities it 's a little known fact that there were cities in India before the Aryans came and so it it's it's mind boggling that people can say that these people are somehow supreme, but people do that, and this is because we have some bizarre ideas of what is right and what is wrong, often having to do with the concept of might makes right. And what's what helps you is good. What is good for oneself um, on a material level, what brings one more power, more affluence, is a essential, beneficial, positive thing, and so we create all sorts of in-groups and out-groups. White and black is just one of them. I think it's silly, really. It's it's incredibly silly because there's, as I said, there's none of us are white and none of us are black. There's no, there's only these um, labels that we give and these separations. In fact, skin color is quite diverse. Then we have, you know, we call people. Um, red, the red Indians as they used to be called, the yellow people from, China, from from Asia. Which, you know, is equally absurd because there's there's no red there were no red people here on in, in America. And I've never seen a yellow person in China. But we immediately want to label it's like when we see someone we, we immediately want to decide whether they're male or female. This is the first thing that we do and if they happen to be a person who doesn't have very strong male or female characteristics, we find it quite troubling in the mind because we right away want to characterize them. This is what our mind wants to do, and then we segregate people and we segregate reality. We separate things and and immediately make judgments about them. This has a devastating effect on the world, really. of course the the white black issue is probably not so big anymore except with these strange people who who call themselves white supremacists but it it points to a bigger problem of of separation and categorization in general how we categorize people another a bigger one, a much bigger one is is religion right now religion is Probably one of the most devastating uh, divisive influences that there is I can't have a dialogue with with uh, I can't have a civil conversation with a Christian because they see me as a Buddhist missionary um, when we talk, we can be civil enough, but there's an undercurrent of pressure and normally a thought process in their mind of how they can best work to convert me to christianity because i'm on the wrong path as an example and and the same goes with other religions when i talk to um jewish people there's a a sense that i'm out i'm outside i'm i'm foreign um no it's even in a sense because I used to subscribe to some of the tenets of Judaism that I'm, I've am i committed apostasy and so on. So this this isn't exactly what I wanted to talk about, but it leads into what I wanted to talk about, and that is this interesting teaching by the Buddha about w- white and black. And I wanted to preface w- it with this because when I t- when we talk about white and black in Buddhism, I was I was confronted on this by a black friend, a friend with dark skin, who came to me and he said, you know, why do we wear? Why do the Buddhist meditators wear white? And it was clear that he he you know understood the the pejorative attachment that we give to black and the positive uh, characteristics we give to white. Just the idea being that white is somehow pure. It was considered so in in India. And so I think it's important to say that it's important to express the belief, the understanding that there are no black people, no people with black skin or white skin. And... I think if we can get over that, then we can get on to talking about what is really white and what is really black. And, and we can overcome these, these barriers, this divisiveness that is always separating us. When we come to see, you know, the, the color white, there's, there's nothing pure about it at all, it's a color. The color black, there's nothing dirty about it as, as well. But in india they they separate the two they say that white is is pure and 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 black being dirty and and that's that's because in in terms of cloth it it actually is the case that pure cloth is white cotton cloth in India would be white, and when it um touches with the soil of the earth it it gets darker so the you know the the um extrapolation from that is that you know, white is pure. And dark is somehow bad. But of course, the opposite doesn't, or the, the same doesn't hold with, with skin color. And in fact, the funny thing about skin color is that, um, well, anyway, it, it, it's, w- we all come from the same ancestor. The, the, the understanding is that we're all from the African continent and have branched off, and due to geographic isolation, our skin color has changed due to the the amount of sunlight that we get, the altitude and so on. So what is white and what is black in Buddhism? I think if, if you know anything about Buddhism, it's pretty easy to answer. Obviously what is white and black is, is karma, is our actions. And the Buddha used these words, m- living in India with this understanding that people had that you know white is pure and, and and black is impure white is positive black is is negative and so the Buddha said that there are are, are four types of karma there's white karma and white white karma with white results, black karma with black results, white and black karma with white and black results, and neither white nor black karma with neither white nor black results. And again, he's just using these these words in in an, in a standard Indian fashion, and it probably is based somewhat on these. Prejudices that people had for light-colored, light colored light light-light-colored skin, and versus dark-colored skin, because the predominant culture at the time was the Brahmin culture, based on uh, based on the Aryan invasion. So, what is white karma? What is black karma? What is White and black karma, and neither white nor black karma. Because the interesting thing here, in the beginning, I was going to try to formulate this talk to say, uh, yes, I am a white supremacist. And, and then explain it from there that, um, you know, because I believe in the, the performance of white karma, white deeds, pure deeds. When we perform a deed with a pure heart, just like a, a white cloth. Uh, a mind that is unsullied by defilements. You see, because the mind, in its ordinary state, is undefiled. The Buddha said that the mind uh, is is luminescent, is is brilliant, is bright, is white. But it becomes defiled by um, defilements, which um, wander in, or. Sort of like guests that, that that don't aren't intrinsic to the mind. They're extrinsic states, just like dirt is not intrinsic to the cloth. But I, then, I, when I when I started looking at it, I realized, oh, that's right. You can't you can't say that. And, and I'll explain why. From Buddhist point of view, we we aren't white. So we don't believe in in uh, white karma as the supreme. White karma is just any, any deed that we do that leads to happiness. You notice that I said white karma with white results, black karma with black results. Well you think in the standard Buddhist way of, of, of uh, working for completeness in categorization, that there would also be black karma with white results and white karma with black results. but there isn't there's only good results that come from 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 good deeds no no bad result can come from a good deed and no good result can no no bad result can come from a good deed no good result can come from a bad deed so when someone kills or steals or lies or cheats does something that has bad results, then it's considered a bad deed, considered a black karma. Kanha kamma, a karma that is black. If someone refrains from these things or performs a deed that is for someone's benefit, either oneself or others, then this is a white karma. This is a deed that is... Um, considered to be beneficial or positive, white, pure, because the mind is pure. When we help other people, when we are generous and kind, when we um, support others and encourage them and teach them and help them to overcome their their suffering, when we give people support and, and help. Or when we do good things for ourselves, when we purify our minds, when we practice meditation, when we see things as they are, when we understand reality. This is white, in a sense, white karma. We're making our minds more pure. Our minds are becoming more uh, unsullied. so black black karma has black results white karma has white results white um karma that is both black and white uh, is there to show us that you know that whereas you can't do a purely good deed and and get bad results from it sometimes we do a, a deed that has both good and bad results for instance you might have good intentions but the nature of the deed forces the arising of of bad thoughts, of harmful intentions. For instance, when um, in the case of euthanasia, people say they have you know good intention, don't want the person to suffer, but but the the, the nature of the deed is such that it can't help but give rise to both incredible the incredible states of delusion that are required to believe that you 're not hurting the person and the anger or the the the, um, the anger based state required to end someone 's life you can 't possibly kill someone without giving rise to at least the state of delusion and most likely the state of anger as well because you have to you have to crush the natural compassion that exists in the mind. The, the the empathy where you yourself don't want to suffer and you have to cause this suffering for others. Mostly unknowing, un unrealizing that it um with with a, with the cloud of delusion that stops you from realizing the the suffering that you're causing for the person. But there is, on the other hand, there are some good intentions. There is uh, um, a sort of ignorant belief that somehow you're helping the person. The same is true when we do good deeds, when you give something, when you, suppose you give charity, but you do it in such a way, you know, many people in in religious circles will give, but then they want something back, or they still cling to it. Um, when, When people give Give gifts to 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 a church or to a religious um, organization, and then they 're always watching to see how their money is spent or how the the items are 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 used and so there 's still this this attachment that comes with it there's there 's also you know often the case where when you give you want everyone else to see you giving and to know that you gave and to know what a great person you are this is Really the case with with all of our good deeds that there's always some level of ego involved as long as we have ego in our minds an attachment to self that will always give rise to some sense of 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 self-worth feeling like feeling proud of ourselves Have we've done that. So these are three types of karma. The fourth type of karma is actually karma for the purpose of, of, of ending karma. And so Buddhism Buddhism is often referred to as overcoming good and evil. Because contrary to, to popular belief, I think, um, the Buddha didn't teach the supremacy of of good karma, of doing good deeds. But it taught the supremacy of giving up any need to do either good or bad deeds, and this is karma that is neither white nor black, and has neither white nor black results. In other words, it's action that doesn't give rise to results because it's free from an, the intention. Of giving rise to any results, there's no intention when one performs such a karma for any results to arise and the point being that if 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 you perform a deed intending that it has a good result, then you'll always be conditioned um, for the creation of that result. There will always be a future when you give you know thinking that it's going to be good in this way or that way then maybe it's something that will make you um, happy in this life, maybe it's something that leads you to heaven in the next life, then it's something that that still has, is, is bound up in clinging and still will give rise to future results. The practice of the Eightfold Noble Path, the, the Buddha's path of morality, of concentration and wisdom, is considered to be neither white nor black karma because it's something that frees the mind from the need to do good or bad need to do good or bad deeds and this is because we're able to give up our categorization and our our judgment our diversification of phenomena, things that arise we see them simply for what they are, and we don't give any label to them. We don't take them to require any action on our parts. We don't take them to mean anything in terms of um, an impetus for doing, performing future karma. So in in essence it's it's changing our nature from one of of cause and effect past present and future to one that is more stationary in terms of being with reality as it is not thinking this phenomenon that phenomenon um is a cause for me to work for something in the future to try to get away from bad things or try to develop good things but instead changing our whole world view to being one of acceptance and contentment in the present moment not needing anything no longer trying to find happiness in things external to ourselves no longer trying to change things to suit our idea of how they should be. No longer saying to ourselves, this is good and this is acceptable, this is supreme, this is uh, noble, this is high, this is low, this is ignoble, this is unacceptable. I would have to say that um, the conclusion is that no, I'm not a white supremacist um, because I do understand and at least intellectually what the Buddha was talking about and I practice according to this that it's actually not the practice of building up white karma building up uh, good karma it's the practice of tearing down and letting go as I talked about last uh, time, I think, last Wednesday. The Buddhist teaching is is for the purpose of tearing down, not building up. So it's for the purpose of letting go and not holding on. And so, even good deeds. This is the um, this is a classic Buddhist um, paradox, or sorts, that even good deeds we have to give up we, we we perform good deeds for the purpose of giving up good deeds and it's a it's a it's a dilemma of sorts that often leads people to Buddhists to claim that there is no reason and there's no good and there's no use in in good, doing good deeds in giving charity, or in teaching others, or in um, setting up meditation centers, or so on, distributing teachings, um, working in hospitals, working with uh, in, in homeless shelters, or so on. But these things are are just the accumulation of good deeds. And this is a mistaken conclusion that people come to in, in, the, in regards to this teaching, the belief that, okay, that means that we have to stop all of these things. And the truth is that an enlightened being is much more inclined to perform such deeds. The difference is that they do it unconditionally. They do it without uh, any interest for future results. They do it because it's the most harmonious thing. They, they perform good deeds quote-unquote good deeds because they have gained the wisdom and understanding that there is an, a, an intrinsic difference between good and bad deeds that a good deed is much easier and more harmonious it leads to greater harmony when performed than a, a quote-unquote bad deed and that's why they're given the label of good and bad deeds and this goes back to the the labels that are given to them in terms of white and and black. The white being akin to the the pure cloth and black or or dark being um, sullied. The reason that good deeds are intrinsically different is because they're simply a deed that is free from defilement. They're done without any thought, of uh, personal gain, or uh, attachment, or clinging, or identification of self. That a person who has none of this clinging naturally performs good deeds. So, for all of us who are still in the, in the, at the point where we you know, have defilements in our minds, we should try our best to conform with this sort of behavior of helping people when, when asked, and uh, supporting others, spreading the Buddha's teaching, setting up meditation courses, and so on, because these are the things that are going to lead us closer and closer to our harmonious, peaceful state of existence. We are not doing good deeds for the the sake of the good deeds or for some result. We're doing them to help us to let go. When you give something, it's not because you think, oh, I hope this person gets benefit from it. If you do that, then you're still clinging, and you'll always be upset when they maybe don't get benefit from it. If you give something, you know, you you give money to a beggar on the street, and then you see them take that money and go and buy alcohol, then right away you're upset because your intention was that it should benefit them. Your intention was that it um, it should have some specific result. And when it doesn't, you become upset. In Buddhism, when we give, we give to give up and we give to support a state of existence that allows us to practice. When we support meditation centers or when we support places like the Buddha Center, we're doing so because we believe that this is something that is bringing us and other people closer to reality. When we support such places, such organizations, that um, we're creating more harmony than the alternative of not supporting and uh, not assisting in the development and expansion of such places. So just that important point that while we're not focused on good deeds we certainly have to align ourselves in that direction because when someone comes and asks you for something asks you for support and you don't help them at all it 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 creates incredible states of defilement in the mind feelings of guilt feelings of stinginess feelings of anger or, or however and so it behooves us to Give unconditionally. When someone comes and asks us for a hundred dollars, maybe give them five dollars. Someone comes and uh, asks us to uh, teach them about the Buddhist teaching. Well, say something. You know, give them the basics. The if you don't know how to teach or if you don't have time or so on. You know, always be giving when people ask. When you're confronted with an opportunity use it as, as a chance to create this harmonious state of, of existence it's something that supports our practice and we should always be finding this happy medium where we're not looking and going out of our way to, to help people which can become incredibly obnoxious and is often un, un um, undesired by the people, by the recipients, but rather you know, simply doing it as a matter of course, a means of not clinging, uh, the, the the simplest way out of the situation to support, to give, to bring yourself closer to a state of peace, happiness and tranquility. So that's some, I think that's some dharma for today, food for thought, hopefully something that can help us to uh, come closer to a um, meditation practice and help us to um, focus our minds in the meditation practice in terms of seeing that we're not trying to gain any state even in the meditation practice of uh, peace or happiness. we're not. Even meditation, we're not practicing to gain anything. We're practicing to let go, to give up. So that's the talk for today. I'd like to thank you all for coming. If you've got any questions, I'm happy to ask them. Otherwise, have a good day.